Welcome to the Greyhound Girl podcast with your host, Dimity Ma. Don't forget, you can follow her on Facebook at The Greyhound Girl. Hi everyone, on this episode of the podcast I speak to New South Wales trainer Luke Brown who's having a terrific run of form at the moment with his little pocket rocket Zoe Zumbug who notched up her fourth straight win at Richmond last week. She's owned by some prominent horse racing identities including talented jockey Cathy O'Hara and Chris Waller's main man Charlie Duckworth. We have a great chat about how he became involved in greyhound racing, some great advice for anyone looking to pick up the lead and collar and how he became involved in training dogs for some of horse racing's leading identities. I hope you enjoy this episode. Little Zoe Zoombug. I mean, <laughs> she's just like, like you know, seeing um, seeing Kathy's post the other night about her. Um, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, obviously Kathy O'Hara is part of the the ownership of her. But um, you know, four on the trot, you must just be super pleased with how she's going. Yeah, she's been going really well. She's um, she's been been a little bit of a challenge as we've we've gone along. She's um, she showed a a little bit of talent when she was young and she um, she sort of struck off pretty well early in her career and won a 400 at Gosford and then uh, had a few dramas with her. She um, she cracked a fibula and hurt a pin muscle and had a, had a, had a bit of a virus for a while there and um, we got her back and she won quite well at Gosford over the 500. She went 29.56 and got to the line quite well and... Um, we sort of thought that we'd sorted all of those little little nigglies out and had her back on track. And then, um, yeah, then we sort of ran into another another string of issues. And, and there was a period there um, towards sort of mid to late last year where she was racing reasonably well, but not up to that standard that she'd showed uh, initially. Yeah. Um, we'd so, yeah, we gave her sort of, few starts at Richmond over the 500 and um, she was sort of only a couple, maybe three or four lengths off where we thought she was probably capable of and, and probably thought it was fitness and and things like that. And but we couldn't find anything wrong with her. And we sort of made the decision to to give her a month off because uh, we just couldn't work out what the issue was. Yep. Um, and after that month off, we brought her back and I just thought we might freshen her up and keep her fresh and give her a couple of starts over the 400. And, and from then, she yeah, she hasn't lost a race. So um, I think she likes, you know, she's sort of been, it's been a lesson because, you know, people say, is your dog going to run 500? Well, she she definitely runs 500. She's run fast at Gosford and can run it out well. But it's she's taught me that probably a question of whether they want to run 500 and yeah, she um, she runs four hundred pretty naturally and doesn't need a lot of work in between. So we keep her fresh and and the the, the runs are short and sharp and it it really keeps her on on her toes. And I, I do think she's probably a better five hundred meter dog, and I think the clock suggests that as well. Yeah, you know, the times that she's been running at Richmond ha- haven't been outstanding, but she's been consistent early. She puts herself in the race and. She wants to win, so um, yeah, she's happy in the head, and that's resulted in in four wins. Yep, is that you? So your sort of immediate plans going forward with it, just to keep her over that um, that four hundred sort of distance. 
Well, she won those the first three of the three in a row, and um, we'd sort of then I'd sort of in my head thought now's now's the time to sort of go back to the five hundred, maybe try and pick up one in town um, on a Wednesday night for the for the for the guys, and that was the plan. And then she came on season. Um, oh right. So um, that's why she had a bit of a break. I think it was almost fifty days between her third win and her fourth win because. Yeah. Yeah, and she, at the moment, was sort of just playing that fine line of, of whether she's going to show signs of milk or she's sort of a little bit swollen and she was quite a good worker at, at home and at the moment she's being a bit lazy and not really interested. <laughs> so um, I, I sort of think that, yeah, we're just sort of juggling that at the moment and she's sort of, I think she's a week and a half off hitting the eight-week mark. So it was good to, between the end of her season and that sort of eight to nine-week period where, you know, historically it can really affect the, the bitches. She's, we were lucky to pick one up. Yeah. Um, so we just sort of need to get through the next month and just assess her each each week and see what she wants to do. And then, yeah, hopefully it's sort of that 12-week mark. Um, we'll, we'll try and step her back up to that 500 after, after that if she shows us she's willing to work hard again at home. And, um, yeah, it's been quite funny. She, you couldn't stop her before a season you'd let it go and you, you know you should just you know do eight nine hundred meters a thousand meters you have to go in there and pull her out and and at the moment we let her go and she lays down in the corner from the show, oh so. no <laughs> it was good to see her good to see her on the racetrack on friday night um she really wanted to be there she was right in the zone during the stir up and yeah she raced accordingly so yep yep now kathy and uh and charlie duckworth and i, I presume a couple of the other owners were trackside um you know I, I have seen some pictures of them i haven't actually seen any live footage but do they get pretty excited when she gets up yeah they do yeah there's a really good group of group of guys that own her there's yeah kathy and charlie and then there's carly triffett um who sort of holds everyone together. She's pretty good manager of, of them all and does all the paperwork for G-Week and yep. um, Tom Van Wick. There's also um, Jason Coyle, who's, who's a oh, trainer, yep. and his, yep. his partner, um, Amy Double. Um, and then there's Henry Phillips. Um, we've also got a mate of mine, a good mate of mine, Tony Duff. He has a share in her. And then also my partner, Annalise's parents, uh, Frank and Elizabeth, they've got a share as well. So there's a big big crew of people that are involved with her. Yeah, nice. And how did you come about getting, obviously, you know, you've got some pretty famous racing or horse racing identities in that ownership group. How did you come about training a dog for them? Uh, well, I have a show jumpers as well and, and ride show jumpers. Yeah, and, okay. Um, so I had a bit of an association with Tom, uh, who's a farrier and worked in the industry, the show jumping industry, and I, I knew him through that. Yep. And, um, yeah, three or four years ago when I sort of – I grew up in the industry but went away from it, when I made the decision that I wanted to, to sort of have a go at it and, and take it on again, um, Tom lived locally to me and he'd sort of actually seen me on my property working the dogs and I just got chatting to him and he said, um, you know, we'd love to get a dog and, and I sort of went from there. We um, The first one they had was Montana Keeping. Yep, yep. She was very handy. Yeah, she was a good she was a good bitch, and um, they were pretty keen on getting a dog that was racing. And as you you would know, it's 
it's not an easy task to um yes. to get to, to buy a race dog. So and I didn't you know, I didn't want to let them down. I wanted to make sure that they got something that was worthy of of their money and was they were gonna have fun with. So I I had Hurricane Frank at the time who was a handy dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um uh, he, he won quite a few around Gosford and in town and um I knew Shane and Charmaine through because they bred him. Yep. Um and I rang them and I sort of had to pester them a bit. And um, we were quite lucky, quite lucky to to get her because um, she was from a really good litter. And I managed to twist Shane's arm to sell her. And then the next night, Memphis keeping her brother, he stepped out at Sandown and went 29-2. And he said to me, you're lucky you, you weren't speaking to me 24 hours later. Cause she's, <laughs> she's a valuable brood bitch now because she's by that flying fired up. So she's got the outcross yep. and... Um, yeah, they've, we've recently retired her, and they're actually they're actually going to breed from her, so that'll oh, be their first. Yeah, sh- she'll go to Fernando, and um, yep. so now they'll yeah they'll have have Montana's babies to race. <laughs> oh, how exciting! So, tell me about yourself. How long have you been uh, training dogs, and uh, what made you first get into greyhound training? I, I think I'm not entirely sure exactly whether I'm third or, or fourth generation to have a license. Uh, my father um, was a trainer and, and he trained with his uncle and, and my grandfather had a licence. and So I grew up in the industry. Uh, my father, he only ever had sort of one or two dogs at home, but um, he, he was, you know, in my opinion, he was a trainer and he was, he was sort of a punter. So um, I got exposed to someone that was really considerate in the way that he trained. He didn't just you know, race every week at the local track. He yep. he was happy to go to country meetings and trial and travel and set up the dogs for, for you know, a result. And um, it's a good way to learn um, because, you know, he was he was a thinker in regards to what he did and, and, and how he worked them and sort of always, always planning and scheming like the old timers did. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I grew up in it, was always exposed to it. And then at about 15, 16, I, I just sort of moved away from it um, um, and started, you know, concentrating on work and yeah. um, finishing school. And, and then, um, yeah, I don't know, it's, the industry's changed a lot. You probably experienced as well when you're a kid and you're growing up in the industry, you really love it when you're young and then you start to get... Um, a bit exposed to the world and you sort of, you know, at that time the perceptions weren't great of the industry and um, it's it can be a bit of a challenge. It was a bit of a challenge back then yeah. um, to, to stay with it, but it's changed so dramatically now and the people that love it and just the enjoyment everyone gets from it and the positive um, social media, um, so that, that, that social media promotes to the world. It's it, The whole industry's got a different perspective and, and when my father actually passed away, and I just felt this desire to train again, and he had some dogs when he passed, so I took those. And Tony, I'd actually had a licensed and, and trained a couple of dogs, but only one or two. And um, yeah, Tony, my license expired. Tony Mestrov was really helpful um, and helped me get my license put back through and yeah. quick, you know, because obviously the dogs had to, had to go somewhere that Dad had, and. Um, built the kennels at home and got them signed off and yeah I just poked along with them for a while and you know it was a, it was just I didn't you know he would be the person that I'd ring and ask for advice but obviously 
you know, he wasn't there. So um, his friends, you know, were very helpful um, in providing advice for me. You know, there was um, Terry Craig and you know, Sam Sultana was always helpful and yep. down at the track and um, a good mate that I met, um, Tony Duff, who's got a share in Zoe, he was really helpful and yep. more recently um, Rick Anderson and, and Matty Kwong, they just, you know, really helped me along and, as you make mistakes, um, you know, you've just got to learn from them and keep improving, don't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What are some, you know, obviously, you know, you're probably a, a book of knowledge now with all, um, you know, the advice you've been given, you know, from your, your family and the, the friends like you just said, but is there any sort of one or two key, key things that have stuck with you over the years that, you know, you still incorporate into your training today? Um. I think probably if you, you know, it's difficult if you've got a large kennel, but when you don't, I just really um, learning the dog and its traits, um, you know, little things like for someone that's starting out, little things like how the dog gets out of bed, you know, if you know how they get out of bed each day and they've had a run, you know, the night before and they get up a bit different, you know, little things like that, you, you don't have to be an expert checker to go and find or, or realise there's something wrong with them. If they're, if they're doing little things like that, it's a big sign that, you know, you need to go and get the get the dog checked or um, if you can't check yourself. And um, just, yeah, like little things like Zoe, you know, with the season and just being uh, just being understanding that she doesn't want to work at the moment, you know, and and not forcing her, not, not you know, putting her in runs and chasing you know making her work behind the quad bike or just sort of let her be herself and and um i I think just yeah understanding the animal they're all different some of them want to be worked every day and some of them want to be worked once a week it's just (laughs) yeah yep yep um now how many dogs have you got in your kennels at the moment so it's it's sort of when I, i had two and then i had three and at the moment i've got four kennels and um annalise my partner she's recently recently approved the construction of another two um <laughs> which I haven't it hasn't started yet and i've sort of got to make a decision whether we want to do that but there's a few pups and everyone's keen so there's no problem filling them it's just a uh, you know you've got to i've got to make sure that you know work for me is busy and a priority so um and the dogs are a release and a hobby so yep. just need to make sure that i've got um i don't get too many that i that I don't give them the attention that I want to. Yep, yep. So you're sort of juggling like uh, training and, and working sort of in together? Yep, yeah, I work full-time. I've got a, a construction company that I run with my best mate Yep. and um, sort of do a lot of the tendering and contract management side of it. So, um, yeah, i pretty busy with big, big days and the dogs are really – a really good release. I get a bit intense sometimes. I'm a bit of an intense. <laughs> so I struggle. People say, you know, you need to switch off and have a break. I struggle to do that. But if I've got the dogs to concentrate on, you know, six o'clock at night, I stop work and go and spend an hour, hour and a half working the dogs and checking dogs and doing things like that. It, it's something to concentrate on that's different to the job. So you get a bit of a break and a release. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, it's really beneficial in that that regard. It's a healthy hobby, you know walking the dogs, running with the dogs, um, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a 
it's a, it's a great hobby. Is it, um, do you find it at all to be a bit uh, like challenging trying to juggle both commitments? Like I know I have people say to me, oh, look, I'd love to get my trainer's license, but, you know, I've got a family and I work full time and I just don't know if I'd be able to give the dogs the time of day. But obviously, you know, you and along with many other people make it work. How do you sort of, you know, what does a typical day involve for you? Like do you do the dogs first, then go to work and then do the dogs after work? Yeah, that's right. Um, so Annalise, um, she's a, a good early riser. So she sort of gets up at five and five thirty and feeds them and puts them out. Yeah. And um, and then sort of I follow behind that. And 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 we're we're lucky in that we live on twenty five acres, so I can work them at home. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah. So you know, you go down six in the morning, six thirty, work them. Um, they've been fed. You know, put them away. You're at work, I'm a, and, and quite often I, I work from home. So I'm at work at seven and the dogs have been worked and I haven't had to go anywhere. And then, um, you know, they'll go out at lunchtime and then again, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, another hour work, the ones that need working or duck down to Richmond and trial the dogs that need to be trialled. Um, yeah, it, do, it does work well. I, I just think if you are busy, it's, you know, time in the car is costly if you're 20 minutes from the track and you need to work them at the track in the runs or you know 40 minutes there you know 20 minutes there and back it's a chunk of the day gone and it's it's just a juggling act and if you and fine-tuning all of your time so that it's it's productive yep yep what um what would be the like the dream for you going forward like i know obviously you you know you've already won races in the city and that is that sort of your aim to to get you know like maybe a consistent city dog or is there a particular feature race that you'd love to win one day if you had the right dog too yeah definitely i just just um like the challenge and want to continue to get better at training dogs and um you know, I think your job as a trainer is, as a trainer is to try and take them to the track each time at their best. And, you know, if they're a 30 and 30 dog at Wentworth Park and, and you can take them there and they run 30 and 30 where you've done your job. And if they're a 29.5 dog at Wentworth Park and they go there and run 29.8, well, you, you know, you haven't done your job, have you? You're yeah. assuming the track's right and they've had a clean run. And it's just, it's just about... You know, for me, I, I, these dogs that we've got at the moment, then you know, they're not city class dogs and group class dogs. But if you can fine tune what you're doing with them and 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 be prepared that hopefully one a good one does come along, and you you've got the experience and and um, ready ready to handle that situation. Yeah. Yep. Now, I did want to ask you about, um, obviously, you know, we know greyhound racing is probably significantly um, a, a more cheaper investment than horse racing. Have the guys that have been involved in horse racing, are they a bit astounded by, you know, I guess the lack of costs compared to horse racing um, that's in greyhounds? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, they just love, I just think they love the fast pace of it they love the dogs they just so they care so much about the dogs that they've got that whenever zoe wins they're at the back cuddling her afterwards and getting photos and <laughs> same with montana and make sure that they always make sure i'd go to maccas and get her an ice cream and um <laughs> yeah they just yeah they really enjoy it and really good people and it's amazing it's amazing like we were there on friday night and 
she didn't race till 20 past 10, I think it was, and they were there watching but had to be up at three in the morning to be at Rose Hill for track work. And yeah. It just, I don't know how they do it. No, you know, that's four amazing. Four hours sleep and, yeah. Um, no, that's yeah, no. Um, have they uh, have they tried to convince you to buy any horse racing shares, or do you have shares in horse races? No, I haven't, um, and they haven't either. So, um, yeah, I'll have to have to have a chat to them if the right one comes along. But <laughs> Charlie Charlie deals in some pretty high end, um, pretty high end horses. Obviously, being sort of Chris Waller's main man, I think. Yep. I think the ones that he's selling shares in are probably a little bit out of my budget range. Right? <laughs> Don't worry, I have a look every now and then and go, I could buy three greyhounds for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He, they're, they're, you know, what it's like there, they've got horses there worth millions of dollars. So. Yep, yep. I think um, I think it's so great, you know, the fact that these, you know, group-winning jockeys and, and trainers and, you know, foremans and all the rest of it, you know, can go to a track like, you know, Richmond, which obviously isn't a, isn't a city track and just, you know, have an absolute ball and just, you know have one of the best nights of their life I think that just shows like you were saying before about how much greyhound racing's changed I think you know we've obviously got Brent and Abdullah I know um Bjorn Baker's got some uh shares in some greyhounds I think the fact that we've got these really high profile horse racing personalities coming across to our sport um you know I think that shows we're doing something right yeah and everyone everyone at the track loves them they love seeing the reaction and you know they're such good people that chat with everyone and you know, shouting the bar and you know, chatting to <laughs> trainers, and they just, yeah, they they just they just want to, they just, yeah, everywhere they go, that crew are having a good time, and and they just bring energy with them. So it's um, yeah, the Montana's. I'll send you the video. Sorry, of Zoe's the reaction to Zoe's third win, um, three on the trot, which they just, yeah, it was it was an explosion at the um. <laughs> Winning. I'm surprised all the dogs didn't turn sideways <laughs> see what was going on. Oh, that's so good. Like I said, you know, you, you think, wow, you'd never picture, you know, jockeys and, and you know, trainers and stuff like that getting so excited over a dog race. But, yeah, no, it's good to see. It's really good to see. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Greyhound Girl podcast and for your ongoing support of not only this podcast but of Greyhound Racing in general. Remember, you can follow Dimity at the Greyhound Girl on Facebook.